This morning I want to share with you from out of Ephesians uh, chapter 2, an excellent, wonderful chapter in the Bible. I mean, it's one of those that, uh, you know, just kind of over-the-top type of chapters, and I would encourage you to read and look at it. But I want to begin and look at verse 1 through verse 8. So listen now and hear the word of the Lord. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you once lived when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Let us pray. Father, today we thank you for this amazing word. And now we pray, Lord, that you would speak to us, help us to hear what you have to say to us. We make our prayer in Christ's name. Amen. Quite often when I walk up to folks I know, I will ask this question. Have you heard the good news? Now, sometimes I get kind of a blank stare when I say that to someone, but at other times it seems obvious that they're eager to hear some good news. A lot of my friends really are longing in this day and time to hear good news, and so they are there with ears ready to listen. And often whether a person really wants to listen to good news or not, I'll say to them, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. You know, most of us have grown up with this understanding that God does love us. We can probably quote from memory John 3, 16. For God so loved the that he gave his only begotten. See, you know it. You can quote it. As a matter of fact, my word processing, my word processing app, as I was typing these words into the sermon, it was already anticipating what I was going to say and what was going to be on that text. Even Google Suite knows John 3.16, that God loves us. God loves us. God loves you. God loves me. We've heard that message often. Those of you who maybe have grown up in a church environment have heard that so often that sometimes I'm afraid we kind of take it for granted that God loves us. We've heard it so often that it doesn't mean quite as much and we really don't understand the depth of God's love. Then there are some among us who really doubt that God could love them. A person maybe thinks of himself as being so insignificant. And how could the God who created everything there is love him? Or maybe there's a person who 
she's really messed up in life and she's done some things that she's regretted and she's lived maybe a, a lifestyle and that, that, that she thinks isn't pleasing to God and she wonders, how could God love her? Because it feels to her as though she's stepped outside of those boundaries of love. Well, Paul here in this beautiful passage speaks in a profound way to this understanding that God loves us. He provides for us here this deep pool of love that speaks so profoundly to how God loves us and how God has acted in order to express that love to us. So this morning, I want to invite you for just a moment in thinking about this great love that God has for us, diving into this deep pool of His love, Hopefully, as we dive under the water, the Spirit will give us some goggles to wear so that we can see clearly underneath the surface to see just how much God loves us. Do you want to hear some good news? Jesus loves you. God loves you. As many of you may know, uh, my wife and I have a son and his family who live in Little Rock, Arkansas. And to get from here to Little Rock, Arkansas by automobile, you've got to cross the Mississippi River. And so the most common way that we go, of course, is to go through the city of Memphis and there in Memphis cross across into Arkansas. Well, about two months ago now, um, the Hernando de Soto Bridge, which is the I-40 bridge crossing from Memphis into Arkansas, uh, it was discovered there's a crack in the bridge, okay? And uh, you don't need to be traveling on bridges that have cracks in them, all right? So they closed down that bridge. That meant the only way from Memphis, if you're in Memphis and you wanted to get across into Arkansas, or if you're on Arkansas and want to get back into Memphis, there's but one other bridge that you can cross, and that is I-55 bridge. It's much more narrow, much older than the I-40 bridge, by the way. So Patty and I, about a month ago, had gone to visit our family in Little Rock, and we were on our way home, and we got to... Uh, 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 North Memphis, and uh, or West Memphis, rather, and we're getting ready to cross the bridge, and it took us an hour and 15 minutes to travel what typically takes seven minutes to travel. Everybody crossing the Mississippi River in that area has a common problem. They got to share that one bridge, all right? Paul tells us that every human being has a common problem. We all share it, he tells us. He says that we by nature are children of wrath. You know, it doesn't matter whether you're born an American. It doesn't matter whether you're rich or whether you're poor. It doesn't matter whether you live on the right side or the wrong side of the tracks. It doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter what your IQ is. We all share this common problem. 
Just like if you're in Memphis and you want to get over to Arkansas, there is a cracked bridge and everybody shares that problem and everybody's got to share the I-55 bridge. And when we crossed the I-55 bridge, what we discovered was there were Mercedes and there were Hyundai in the mix. There were clunkers and there were nice rides in the mix. I mean, everybody had to go across the same bridge. And so we're all on this same bridge, this same common human problem. So what is, the, what is this problem? What is this issue that we face? Now again, if you've been around church for a while and you've heard people like me preach and, and you've been in you know, small groups and you had lessons and maybe you listened to Christian broadcasting, you probably would respond to me and say, well, Dwight, our common problem is sin. All people sin. And you know, that's true. And a lot of us don't have a problem with that. We'd say, yeah, all of us do sin. Uh, uh, we, we do share this common problem. Not only does everybody sin, I'm a sinner. We can identify that. But then there's some among us who are a little bit hesitant there because they don't quite understand this thing. You know, earlier today I, I spoke to uh, uh, our, our, our traditional congregation, and now I'm speaking to you, and I looked out over the congregation, there are people online that are watching, I can't see them, but I have read some of their names uh, on my iPhone, uh, so, so I kind of know who, who's watching us online and know who's in here, and you know, looking over this group, uh, I, I only see one or two dirty, rotten scoundrels. Y'all look like pretty decent folks, and the same thing's true in the, the first service. Uh, you know, probably none of us have committed murder. None are probably guilty of sex trafficking. Most have been faithful to their spouse if married. No one's been guilty of being a con artist. No one's probably robbed a bank. So... There's not many dirty, rotten scoundrels in this room. Even most of us probably love our neighbors, except the one who's a jerk, right? But even then, we, we, we just call them a jerk, but we really love them in Christian love, right? I mean, we really do. So what about this common problem? Paul said, we are all dead in our sins and trespasses. Now, the word sin and the word trespasses uh, in the Greek have a little bit of a broader meaning than we commonly think of it. The word translated as sin literally means to miss the target, to miss the bullseye. So an archer pulls back, shoots at the target, and if the, if it, if the archer doesn't hit that bullseye, that archer is off the mark, sin. Trespass literally means to slip up or to fall. Now, this is Father's Day, right? Father's Day. Um, great day. Uh, my boys will tell me Happy Father's Day. One actually took me to lunch yesterday and paid for my meal. I consider that a great accomplishment as a father. Fathers, you've arrived when one of your children takes you and picks up the check. You have arrived, right? Okay. So today's Father's Day, but let me ask you dads. I'm sure that every dad present who's listening 
has attempted to be the best possible father, right? But have you always succeeded? Have you always done it right? Have you never said anything to your child that you should not have said? Have you really done your best always? How about if you're an athlete? Have you always given it your all? Have you ever been a bad sport when it didn't go your way, when the game was over and you didn't win? I mean, did you sulk? Or when you were called for a foul, did you get upset, maybe say some things under your breath you shouldn't say? If you're a student, have you always given it your very best? Have you studied for every test? Have you always prepared the way you should do? And so forth. I think as we begin to look at things, we can understand that, yeah, we do miss the mark, and we do slip up. We do miss the mark, and we do slip up. These things in our lives, these sins and transgressions, these slip-ups and these missing the mark, causes us to miss out on the fullness of life that God has intended for us to have. It brings damage in our relationship with God, and it does things that are difficult. Paul tells us that there are things, forces at work that lead us down the path to these sins and transgressions. He talks about external forces and internal things within us that are at work that cause us to miss the mark and to slip up. The external forces. Now, I'm just giving you kind of the highlights here. Again, I encourage you to go back and read the second chapter of Ephesians and study and think about it and ask the Spirit to guide you in your understanding. But here he gives us these three forces, these outside forces that in our own strength, in, with our own resources, we cannot overcome them, we cannot control them, but they will control us if we're just using our own resources, okay? He says, one is this, he says, the ways of the world, the ways of the world. These are patterns of thinking and behavior that is common to our environment around us. We can call it culture, if you would like. And there are things about our culture that heavily influence how we think and what we do. For example, in our culture, there's this common thinking. I don't get mad, I get even. I get even. I don't get mad, I get even. And so, we find that in our culture, there's these ways of thinking, these ways of behaving. Many of us have been alive long enough to see that we're living in an age now where there, the shift in the cultural thinking around us, and we see that it's very influential on a lot of people in the way they think and the way they behave in lots of different areas. And not all that's good. A lot of it misses the mark. Paul also talks about that, that there's another external force. He calls it the ruler of the kingdom of the air. The ruler of the kingdom of the air. These are basically spiritual forces 
out in our world that influences us toward evil against the things of God. Now, in some circles, we call that the devil and demons. Other circles don't necessarily like that language. But I think all of us would agree there are forces at work that are evil and lead people away from God and bring destruction and violence and hatred into our world. And then the third external force that Paul mentions here is the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. Now here the word spirit is not so much about the spiritual beings as it is talking about an attitude that people have. There, is, there are common attitudes it seems that we're born with that can easily lead us astray. It's like that, uh, that spirit, that attitude of uh, defying authority and rebelling. Uh, parents, have you ever seen it in a two-year-old, your two-year-old? Have you ever seen it in a 90-year-old? Have you ever seen it in those in between? These external forces are working against us that lead us away from God. And then Paul says there are some things inside of us that when these forces are at work and just the natural way that we live and the way that we are in our humanity continues to lead us astray. And he talks about desires, cravings, and drives. Now, it's interesting that our human drives and desires are God-given and in and of themselves are benign. Matter of fact, they're typically good. In other words, your desire to eat is good. You need to eat to stay alive. Your desire for security is a good thing. Your desire for uh, sexual fulfillment and intimacy is a good thing. These are God-given. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong. But when our desires, cravings, drives become the filters through which we live out our lives and become that which motivate us and move us and control us, then we go down a path that leads to darkness and despair. It's in that path that we not only are harmed ourselves, but we end up harming others as well. God loves you and me so much that God doesn't want us to be living and existing in those dark places. God wants something better for us. And that's where good news comes into play. God wants us to be transformed. Paul said that God makes us alive in Christ. Instead of the death, separation, despair, loneliness, all the things that we could mention, God wants us to live a life filled with meaning and purpose. God wants your life to count. God wants to lift us up above the control of these external forces and these internal drives and wants us to be seated 
with Jesus in heavenly places. In other words, He wants our life to come under the control of heavenly forces instead of these earthly and spiritual forces and our natural forces. He wants us to be controlled by the Spirit. God wants us to dwell in a new dimension, both now in this life and in the life that is to come. God wants to shape you in such a way that you will have purpose in your life and have a positive impact on the people who are around you and the world as a whole. That's God's desire. And that's good news. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants for me. And even better news is that not only does God want that for you, but God has acted in Jesus Christ to make it possible for that to happen for you, regardless of where you are in your life. You got it? God has acted. God has acted in Christ Jesus. Through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, God offers us a better way, a new way, God's way. God has made it possible. And there's one thing that has motivated God to do that for you and for me. And you know what it is? God loves us. God loves you. God loves you. Out of God's great love for us, God has acted in His Son to make this kind of life He wants for us possible. Something you could never obtain on your own. Something you could never get by your own resources. God acts in Jesus to offer it to us. Paul says that this love is, the icing of this love is trimmed with three wonderful ingredients. Mercy. Mercy is that God offers us forgiveness that we cannot earn and we do not deserve. In that ingredient of the icing of love, God has offered to us kindness. God's not some kind of harsh despot living out there somewhere who's ready to zap you if you do something wrong. But God is a kind God who reaches out His arms, drawing you and wants the very best for you. He acts in kindness. And then the third ingredient of the recipe for the icing of love is grace. God offers to you gifts that will enable you to become all that God has created you to be. Gosh, isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? That is really good news. But there's one more aspect of this I want to mention. Uh, Patty is out of town, and my son and daughter-in-law have gone on vacation with our two grandchildren, and I'm dog-sitting with JoJo, okay? I want you all to pray for JoJo. Uh, I'm not a great dog-sitter, even though it's my granddog. And JoJo's kind of old, and she can't see, and she can't hear, and so it's, it's kind of a challenge. But I want to ask you have, you, have you ever been puppy shopping? You know, maybe you had some friends whose dog had a, had a litter of puppies, and, and maybe, you know, you've, you've got kids at home or you had kids at home, and you, and you go looking for a puppy. What puppy do you take home? I, I just about bet 
that few, if any of you, would take that puppy home that when you see it and you sit in there that that puppy growls at you and bites you, probably don't take that puppy home, right? You probably don't take the puppy home that pees on your shoe, do you? Now, I'm not supposed to say pee in the church service, but puppies do pee, all right? But you probably take home the puppy that shows an interest in you and comes up and licks your hand and, <laughs> and has that cute face, right? That's the puppy you take home. That's the puppy you take home. But let me tell you the good news about God. Not only does God love the puppy that licks his hand and shows affection, but God loves the puppy that growls and nips his hand, the puppy that pees on his shoe. Regardless of where we are, Regardless of how we've been, God loves us. He loves us where we are. And the reality is in this room this morning and online, there are folks who, there are some who, who really are living for Jesus and are close to this Father and this Father who loves them. And then there are others who are on the other end of the spectrum. They, they've, they've been rebellious and they're just not there. And they've done some things they really regret. And there's people all in between, some who have started the journey and kind of making slow progress, and then there's others who started the journey and they've kind of went away, they've rebelled. But wherever we are, God loves us. And His arms of love and kindness are extended to each of us. And I hope this morning you'll hear the whisper of a loving Father from heaven who says, I love you. And I hope that you'll bounce into his arms, receive that love, be transformed by that love, and be drawn closer to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a love that will not let us go. Thank you for a love that surrounds us and engulfs us. Lord, let us know now the depth of that love through Jesus our Lord. Amen. As the band leads us in this final song, where you are, I invite you just to leap into the Father's arms. Maybe you want to come and pray, that's fine. Or you can do that where you are. But let us enjoy a Father who loves us.